God is so awesome. He really is. Uh, Thirteen of us uh, went to Firestorm and got to be there for the last few days. And it's always an incredible time there. Um, Can you not hear me in the back? How's that? That better? Okay. It's always an incredible time there um, for several reasons. The speakers are always good. Um, The worship is always phenomenal. And and that's, that's one of the things I love is the worship. Because there's something about being in the presence of other believers, passionate believers, that literally just give everything to God. You know, but Alexis, we're talking, uh, I think it was after the first night, or I I can't remember when, um, after the first session, the first evening that we were together, and she said, you know, it is so awesome that we don't have to just come here to experience that. Because so many people do. So many people go to conferences and go warn you guys. If you're going to sit in the front, you're within smacking distance. And we're online. I'll turn it face it to you. What, we, what so many people do is they go to conferences, they go to these seminars to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and when you go up there, when you go to Life Center, I guarantee you, you will experience that. You will experience his presence because the authority there is given over to God. They seek him with everything that they are, with everything that they have. But what Alexis and I talked about, what she pointed out, mentioned to me, is we have that here every time we worship. But especially on Tuesday nights. I want to encourage you, if you've not come to a Tuesday night, or if, or if you've only been to one or whatever, Come on Tuesday nights, the the Holy Spirit is so thick in this room, because that's all we do. We pray and we worship, that's all we do on Tuesday nights. And it's such an incredible, amazing, amazing time before the Lord. And, And that isn't to take away the personal time that we have with God, because the personal time that we have is just as powerful or let me say, it can be just as powerful. It's just different. It's different when you have a group of people with the same mind frame, right? See, that's what ignition is. That's what God's building here. Have you noticed that? He's building a group of people with the same mindset. The mindset of worshiping him, of giving him everything, of placing him number one. Not, not about building a church like you'd build a business. You know, a, a, a couple of years ago, I want to say maybe four years ago, before all this started, before God began really radical change in my heart, I loved him. Okay, it wasn't that I didn't love him. It wasn't that I wasn't passionate for him. I was. I've always been passionate for him. But when I read the book of Acts... And I don't know what it was, because I'd read it many times before, but, but when I read it this time, about four years ago, I'm, I'm going through it, and I'm going through a detailed study of it, and just pulling out the Greek, and what's going on, and, and really trying to 
assess what's going on there, I came to the conclusion that we don't see this today. We don't see the Church of Acts in the bride today. Or at least I don't. I'm not saying it's not out there. I'm saying I don't see it. I'm saying I've never had anyone tell me that they see it. And, and so I, I began praying, where's the disconnect? Where's the disconnect with your bride? Where's the disconnect with churches? Where's the disconnect with me? That I don't see this today. And, and as I began praying that, that's when God began to do a work in my heart. To say, yeah, there's something you're missing. There's something the church is missing. And, and by the way, it isn't just that he speaks. Because that, that's obviously been the, the most dramatic change in my life over the last few years, is understanding that the gifts are for today and that I can expect him to speak to me when I talk to him. That, that's obviously been a radical change, but that's not what... That's clearly not what brings on the church of Acts. Because there are churches that believe that. There are people that operate in that. There are people that, that see healings, that see this, that see, you know, God speaking. So, so it's clearly not that. So why don't we see the church of Acts today? And I've come to the conclusion, it's because it can't happen with one. It can't happen with a few. It has to happen in unity with a group. But it's what has to happen is the important part. It's not about believing in the gifts. It's not about allowing the gifts to operate through you and the Holy Spirit to speak and everything else. It's about faith. It's about extraordinary faith. Why don't we have the Church of Acts today? It's because we don't believe truly in our hearts that it'll happen. Not that it can happen. I think, I think if we went through and we, we said, do you believe this can happen? Yeah, of course we believe it can happen. It's right there in black and white. But do you believe it will happen? Do you believe that it is beginning to happen? See, I know in my heart, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that is what he is building ignition for. He is placing in our hearts this idea that everything is possible. That there's nothing outside of who God is that isn't possible because he's done it before. And he wants to do it again. You know, he said he wants to do it again. He said it right in John. Read it. John chapter 14, all the way from 14 through, through 20. He wants to do it again. And he hadn't even done it first time yet in John. But see, there's something significant about the end days. There's something significant about the readying of the bride. We're going to see things happen that have never happened before. Not even in the church of Acts. Don't believe me. Open up Revelation 3.9. And if you've never heard that before, ask your neighbor. <laughs> They've heard it many times. God is going to do this. He wants to do this. But see, there's a currency that's, that's required for this. 
In, in the kingdom of heaven, we don't pay with money, but we pay with a currency. That currency is faith. You want God to do something extraordinary in your life? You can't do it without the currency of faith. Oh, man. When I'm there, I see. When, when we're up there, I, the, the joy this year for me was meeting other people like us. It, it, was, it was the chances that I had when somebody came up to me and, and they said, and this happened five times, where somebody came up to me and said, the, the Lord just said, I'm, I'm really afraid to talk to you. Okay, but, but the Lord highlighted you and wanted me to say this to you. And they had the boldness to do it. You know, I, I don't know if I'm not an easily approachable guy. I, I know that can be intimidating to go up to a total stranger, especially one that's tall, right? But they did. And they came up to me, and then we had this conversation, and what I realized in them is they're in the same place as me. They're this, what I call a remnant that, the, that God is raising up in the bride right now. Many sequestered on their own like we've been. Don't think you're by yourself. God is raising a remnant just like us. I know they're weird too. <laughs> That's okay. He's doing this because he needs people with the currency to push forward the readying of the bride. Do you have that currency? Do you have that faith? Because, see, it's not cheap. Just like our lives purchased was not cheap. It cost God everything. The Church of Acts, it cost them everything. With us, it will cost us everything. It will cost us every ounce of faith that we can offer. But the reward, the end game, and I'm not even talking about heaven. I'm talking about the end game on earth. is extraordinary. It's really something. I mean, when you are with these people, when we're here, when we're worshiping together, I don't know, am I the, am I the only one? But I feel something different than when I do it by myself. Yeah, it's extraordinary. What God is doing is extraordinary. So I, I know Bill Johnson said one time, and it, it's, it's a quote that has always stuck with me, and, and I, think it's, I think it's important. He said, if you know the Holy Spirit is somewhere, and you know that he is displaying himself somewhere, and he's evident somewhere, he said, go where it is. Go where the Holy Spirit is. That's what he did. Changed his life. He heard about what was going on in Toronto, and he said, i got to go there. He went there and was literally transformed because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Not something external, but because he went there with an investment of currency. He went there with an investment of his faith, and he said, I invest the entire amount that I have, this, this limited amount of faith that I have, I invest it all. And, and God, I just ask that you multiply it. See, that's what we have here. Don't ever let the enemy tell you differently. 
because he is building a currency in us that's going to move mountains. He's building a currency in us that will help effect change in this world. And he does it through you individually and collectively as a group. So, anyways, sorry, that wasn't my message. Part two. Uh, we, started, we started a new series last week. And this new series is on the idea of taking ground. And really it goes along with what the Lord just spoke, okay, about this currency of faith. This taking ground is what is required for the bride to be lifted up, for the bride to be exalted as we know is going to happen before the Lord comes again. See, in order for that to happen, we have to take ground. Why? Okay, if you just take the, the presence, okay, let, let's say you have an area, a physical area. Let's say this house, house for instance, okay? If, if there is a demonic spirit having authority to have authority over this ground, he may not have authority over us, okay, individually, but he has authority over this ground, you will always be at warfare on this ground, why? Because he has authority. He has authority to be there. Why do you think that, that the children of Israel, when they went into the promised land, they had to destroy all of them? Seven places. In all the places they battled, seven places, the Lord said, kill everything. Not just kill the men that are fighting and then take the rest captive and, and let them go somewhere. Kill everything. I'm not going to get into that too much because it's a rabbit trail and takes time. But bottom line is there were authorities on that land that had to be dealt with. Because when they took over those cities, if they didn't deal with the authority that was over the city in the first place, if they didn't allow the father to deal with that authority, then they would always deal with that authority. Does that make sense? So in this house, same thing. If, if you know, the, the ultimate authority over this land is the owner of the land. Okay, that's Colin. That's my father. If he did not have, take that authority over this land and take it from what assumed authority, then we'd be dealing with it all the time. It's important to understand in your own house, it's the same way. We're given authority to deal with this. That's why taking ground is important. Not just taking ground in your own house. Taking ground where you live. But see, what the bride is going to begin to do is take ground from the enemy for others. See, the enemy has no right over this ground. You ever read in the Bible where it said when, when Satan fell, he was made prince in the power of the air. Right? So, so he, he controls the airwaves, if you will. He has authority over the air. He was not given authority or given dominion over the land, but yet he took it. So we have to fight back. The Lord is teaching us to fight back and to take ground, literally take ground from the enemy. So that's the perspective that we're doing this new series on, and this series is on the armor of God. 
Last week we gave, uh, we just did the introduction where we talked about fighting in three areas, right? And, and I'm not going to go through that too much, but, but understanding that we fight through people because Satan fights through people, right? We fight through the realm that Satan operates in. It's called the second heaven. It's the atmosphere that he controls. He's the prince and power of the air. We fight in that realm as well. But then the third one, and we've preached this before, we've talked about the courts of heaven. We fight in the courts of heaven. Okay, And if you want to get more on that, I, I encourage you to, uh, uh, to, to listen to last week's podcast. And, and get a little bit more depth on that. But those are three areas of, of attack that we need to understand. Well, today we're going to get into the first piece of armor. Paul talks about in Ephesians 6 about putting on pieces of armor to be able to fight against the enemy. Now, we've taught it before from the perspective of defense. You put on armor to be defensive, right? If somebody's attacking you, you want armor on to keep them from hurting you, right? You want a helmet of salvation, so if they take a sword, hit your head. Yeah. Anybody ever watch those, uh, uh, the, like, jousting matches and the, the old Renaissance fighting stuff? Anybody into that? Or is it just me? Seriously? Nobody? Okay, one person. Thank you. One person, the only other normal person in here. All right, in those things, if you watch today, and it's, they really have these tournaments where they do these sword fights and everything else. And, and now I don't know that they're like swinging full force or anything, and they have blunt swords, but they hit each other pretty hard. And if you have a sword come across your head or come across your shoulder or come across your chest, and the other guy scores a point, but you don't want him to score pain too. Right? So you put on armor. You put on a helmet. That's what Paul's talking about here. If you're going to go and be in this warfare, which you are automatically, you better put on your armor. You better put on your armor when he comes after you, because then you can be defended against. Okay, but there, there comes a shift in a Christian's life, and, and, and really there comes a shift in a church's life. And I feel that our church went through this shift about six, seven months ago. At the beginning of, I, I want to say, well, really end of last summer, beginning of the fall, we, we went through this shift where the warfare wasn't always just defending, always defending what was coming after us. But there was a shift where the warfare became offensive. There were times where we began going after the enemy, Knowing where he was, it was revealed where he was, perhaps in a person's life, or, or perhaps in, in an area, or whatever. And, and that became offensive in nature, going after him. Well, that's where the armor is even more important. Because as you're going into a fight, think, of, think about a warrior. Okay, a warrior's running into the battle. They're running into the middle of the battle, knowing where they're needed the most. And they're taking blows on the way in. You have to have your armor on to be able to withstand those. But then when you get to the battle and you engage in the battle, your armor becomes offensive as well. 
you know, I guarantee you, you hit somebody with a good shield that is normally used for defense, but you use it in offense, and it becomes a dangerous weapon. That's what the Romans did. The Roman soldiers really had two weapons that they used constantly. Watch any authentic movie about this, and you'll see what I'm talking about. They, they have they, whatever, whether they're right-handed or left-handed, they might have their shield in their left hand, sword in their right hand. But it, if you notice, it's, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a short sword. And the reason why is because that way they're using both pieces. They're blocking with the shield, but they're hitting with the shield, or they're pushing with the, with the shield. The shield that is a defensive tool becomes an offensive weapon. And we need to look at the armor as an offensive weapon. So today we're going to be talking about the belt of truth. That's the first piece of armor. And we're, we're not going to turn to Ephesians 6 just because uh, we read it last week. And, and the only piece we're going after today is the first piece of armor he says put on. Paul says put on the belt of truth. Right? So what is this? Belt of truth. And first of all, I want you to understand, Paul uses metaphors for a reason. Okay, what is a belt? A belt is something that holds other things up, but mostly it ties it all together. If it, he, he was coming from the perspective of a Roman soldier. A Roman soldier wore a robe. Okay, back then they wore a robe, and, and if they're going into fighting and they have this flowing robe, kind of awkward. Kind of tough. You know, you can imagine trying to wield a sword and it getting caught up in your robe and everything else, right? You can picture that. Well, what they did is they took a belt and they put it around their robe to tie their robe in so now nothing gets in the way of their movement. But see, that belt also was used for other things. That belt was used to hold their sword. It was used to hold a dagger. Okay, in modern day... You, you see the belt used even so much more. You ever see a policeman's belt? Or have you ever seen like, like a frontline uh, uh, army person's belt, soldier's belt? It's ridiculous. The thing must weigh 100 pounds. It has got, it, it, it's almost like there's no space for the belt anymore because it's got so many things on it, right? It's got the place for, for a weapon. It's got, you know, like a police officer has mace. He's got his cuffs. He's got a weapon. He's got his radio. He's got, I don't know, an iPod. Listen to music. Who knows? He, he has everything. And, and the belt is literally the center point of his armor. So it's, un, it's, it's important to understand what this belt of truth is. Paul says it's not just a belt. It's a belt of something. It's a belt of truth, right? So let's get into this a little bit. First of all, it's important to understand true, what truth is. I want you to turn to 1 Peter. Well, actually, no. Let's turn to John 17 first. Turn to John 17, verse 16. What is truth? According to the Word of God, according to Paul... What's he talking about when he says, put on the belt of truth? Verse 16 of, first of, uh, of John 17 says this. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. This is what Jesus is saying. Now verse 17. Sanctify them, and Jesus is praying to the Father. Sanctify them in the truth. What is the truth? Your word is truth. 
God's word is truth. The Bible is truth. Turn to 2 Timothy 3. And I know you know this. I know you know these things. But it's important to lay this foundation to understand what truth is. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 says this. And you all probably know this, this scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God. And is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God may be what? Complete. Complete. Equipped for every good work. So truth is what? Truth is literally God breathing out his word. Truth is what God says. You want to know truth? It's what God says. God speaks. It's truth. That is truth. So what's it talking about? When we put on the belt of truth, we put on the belt of his word. We put on literally the covering of his words in our life, right? In order to understand that, though, in order to take value in that and see how that really applies to us individually, it's really important to understand who you are. We have to know who we are in Christ. Because his truth, coming from, from his lips, will be slandered by the enemy. And I'll tell you what, the first place the enemy goes after is lying to you about who you are. Lying to you about what Jesus says you are. And who he sees that you are. So I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. See if I can actually pull it up here. This is what happens when you shake. Okay, Ephesians chapter one, verse three, and we're gonna we're gonna read three through fourteen because I want you to get a, a, a real clear picture of who you are in Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now understand, this is talking about when you have accepted Jesus Christ into your heart as Savior, who are you in Him? This isn't, well, now I'm living a good life in Him, so this is who I am in Him. I'm, I'm, I'm living an obedient life and I seek him and I'm in church all the time and I, I don't sin, you know, I, I really keep a short leash of my sin and, and, and I'm doing all this and I'm really seeking him and, and so therefore this is who I am in Christ. That's not what he says. You are this in Jesus Christ simply because of him and his grace. You are this in Jesus Christ because of what he has done when you accepted him, Okay. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Holy and blameless before him in love. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. See, it was his will that we became sons. And daughters. It was his will that by accepting him, we became family to him. It wasn't a bridge. Salvation was not a bridge to becoming a son and daughter. 
Don't confuse sanctification with adoption. Don't get confused that when I accept Jesus Christ, then I have to go through the process of sanctification, which is obedience and love and growing in him and everything else. Then I become a son and a daughter. That's not what he says. Don't confuse the two. Because, see, a son and a daughter can be disobedient. There's no correlation between the two. We are made sons and daughters immediately. When we accept him into our heart, we become sons and daughters. We become family. To the praise of his glorious grace in which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to his riches of his grace. According to his riches. Verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. See, uniting is his plan. Bringing us together is his plan. And not just like us as a church, but the whole bride. To bring the whole bride together and ready for him is his plan. That's what his, that was his plan from the very beginning. Where am I? Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. See, because you're a son and daughter, you have right to an inheritance in him. Because we accepted him, we have obtained an inheritance. And we have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, and I've quoted this so many times, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were what? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until... That's a very important word there. Until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. What he's saying here in this passage, and he wants you to understand who you are in him. He's saying you are a son and a daughter. You become family. And to prove that, I seal you with my Holy Spirit. Guaranteed. Permanent. You can't even do anything about it. You cannot even give your salvation away if you wanted to. Why? Because it's not you who holds the seal. It's not you who had anything to do with receiving it. Except acceptance. All you did was accept. He did everything on the cross. He did everything to give you that. He did everything to allow you to become a son and a daughter. Right? So he's saying, you got to know who you are in me. You are my son, you are my daughter, and you've been sealed. Period. End of story. That's who you are. Now, knowing this, we then understand responsibility. And that's what takes us to putting on this armor. 
to getting in the fight, learning how to defend ourselves, but then learning how to go after the enemy. I want you to turn to 1 Peter. First Peter chapter one, verse 13 says this. And this is after Peter was talking about who we are in Christ a little in the, the first 12 verses. He says in verse 13, therefore, okay, knowing who you are in Christ, therefore, prepare your mind for action. Okay, that word there means movement. Advancement. Prepare your mind for action. You now know that you are a son and a daughter. You know that you are the the child of a king. You are adopted family, which, by the way, adoption is by choice. Okay? You were chosen to be family. So he says, now that you recognize that, now that you understand who you are, then what you need to do is prepare your mind for action. Prepare your mind for movement. Prepare your mind for going forward in Jesus Christ. Not just learning who he is. Not just absorbing everything that he has to give you. That's part of it. But see, when you absorb, then you begin to pour. One of my greatest joys this this time at Firestorm wasn't what I received. And what I received was awesome, but it was what I was able to give. It was the people I was able to pray over and and share life with and just talk with. Prepare your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What that's saying is, prepare your mind for action because I'm going to give you the tools that I have said in my word that you could understand how to apply that action. I'm going to teach you how to be defensive against the enemy. I'm going to teach you how to take that into offense against the enemy. I'm going to teach you how to bind and and, and in unity with other people that literally makes you stronger against the enemy. I'm going to teach you all that. That's what he's talking about when he says at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now go down just a little bit further and verse 22 says how he does it. Having purified your souls by what? By your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. What he's saying here is he purifies our souls. He purifies our lives for the purpose of this calling. For the purpose of us accepting the truth and being obedient in the truth. It's that O word. (laughs) Obedience. That's a tough word in the word of God, right? But he says obedience to what? Obedience to the truth. You can't just put the belt of truth on. You can't wrap yourself in truth and not be obedient to it. It's kind of like getting directions to go somewhere and not following the directions. 
well, I'll just kind of, may the force be with me. <laughs> I'm just going to kind of point my car and drive. Eventually I'll find where I need to be. You know what? That's not necessarily true. See, when we wrap ourselves in, the, in, in the, the belt of truth and understanding the truth of God, we have to be obedient to that truth to apply it. You can know the truth all day and not apply it, and it will not do a thing for you. It will not help you in this warfare. It will not help you in what you're doing. You have to be obedient to that truth for it to do anything. Now, this is the part I'm really excited about. I want you to turn to Isaiah, chapter 59. And I want to read here. This, to me, is extraordinary. Because, I mean, the Lord took me here. I'm really not even sure how I got to this passage, except that he took me here. But what the beginning of this passage talks about, or the beginning of the part I'm going to read, tell me if you don't agree, this is a picture of our world today. This is a picture of our country today and how it has been. We're going to begin at verse 14. Isaiah 59, verse 14, says this. Jesus, or I'm sorry, justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away. Why? For truth has stumbled in the public squares. And uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. I don't know about you, but to me, that's a picture of our world today. See, in the public arenas, in, in, the, in the public square, as it said here, truth has stumbled. Truth has not been identified as God's truth. It's whatever you believe is true is true. Couldn't be more wrong. And because people make their own truth and they gain influence in the marketplace, they gain influence in the media and influence over other people, then all of a sudden the real truth, because truth is real, truth does not change. Truth is truth. So when falseness gains power, truth stumbles. Does that make sense? That's what's happened in our country. That's what's happened in the world. And, and the, the last part there in verse 15 is what really hit me hard. He who departs from evil makes what? Makes himself a prey. How many times have we said, when you step out for Jesus Christ, all of a sudden you have a target on your back? That's the truth. When you step out for Christ, you have a target on your back, certainly from the enemy. But even what he controls. When he controls the mountains of our country, the, the, the influences of our country. Everybody know what I mean when I talk about the, the seven mountains of influence? It's, it's all the areas of influence in our lives. You have the government, you have the church, you have the media, Right? You have all the education, all these different things, and I can't remember the last three. 
but there are three more. All these areas of influence, when the enemy has the greater influence in those, and you decide to step out for Jesus Christ and believe in the truth, what happens? You're going against the flow. You're going against the grain. Automatically, you have a target on your back. Automatically, you do. That's what these verses are saying. When truth stumbles in the public square, a person wanting to walk in truth is going to be made prey, is going to have a target on their back. See, that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate that that we've come to that point in our society. It's not supposed to be that way. It's not. And that's how it's been. But oh boy, (laughs) oh boy, there comes a point where God hears the cries of his people. Those people who have the targets on their back and they say, Lord, when are you going to do something? When are you going to do something about this? I am but a single person. I can only do so much. God, if you don't rally this, nothing will happen. And he hears those cries. And he does something. Let's read on. Middle of verse 15. So the Lord sees what's going on there. Where truth is stumbling in the public squares. Truth is lacking and, and his children have become prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. There was no one who could intercede for him. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. This is in the form of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus Christ came to this earth, because man couldn't do it. Jesus Christ came to this earth, and righteousness upheld him. But then get what he, he says here. This, this is Isaiah, okay? This is Old Testament. This is hundreds and hundreds of years before Paul. What's he say? God here says, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments, what? Of vengeance for clothing. I don't know about you, but that sounds offensive to me, not defensive. See, God saw what was going on and he said, I will go after the enemy. And he laid that out here because he wants us to do the same thing. We put on the armor of his righteousness. We put on the shield. We put on the helmet of our salvation. We're going to get into all those. We wrap the belt of truth around us. And we head into the warfare. Why? Because right now, truth is stumbling in the the public square. I've said this before, and and it's... It's a frustration. I don't understand where the pulpits are today. I don't understand with, with, and, and I'm not saying all of them, 
But the ones that have a voice, why are they not saying this? Why are they not standing up for what's right? It's almost like they sit back and just, well, you know, God's going to do this, and I have faith that he's going to do this, and, and we'll, we'll, just, we'll just, you know, let it move by. We've weathered storms before. We'll weather this one, and, and God's going to do this movement. Praise God. You show me something in the Word of God where God did not react because of how he used people. See, that's how he works. God could come down and just change us like that. But that's not how he works. He works through his people. Why? Because it benefits us. Because it draws us closer to him. So where are the pulpits in America today? See, the pulpits need to stand up for what's right. It was never supposed to be, you, know, you hear them screaming now, separation of church and state. I watched a, a video, I think it was on Fox, or it might have been Facebook, I can't remember. But it, it was this, this town hall meeting where they opened in the Lord's Prayer. They opened in prayer. And people are all upset, just, just like Melania did. Praise God. When she did at, at, the, at the last rally they had. But in this meeting, you just all you heard was, was these chants, separation of church and state, separation of church and state. Where are the pulpits in America to explain that they've got that wrong? It was never supposed to be the separation of the church from the state. It was supposed to be the separation of the state from the church. See, you have to understand where they came from, the state literally ran and controlled the church. That's why our country was born. That's, that's how our founding forefathers, that's why they came here, risked their lives to start something that the state did not control. And, and by the way, that's not a constitutional thing. It's not even in a Bill of Rights or anything. It's, it's in a letter that, that uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote. And, and by the way, true. Should be there. But it wasn't to keep the state influence from having, having God influence the state. Just the opposite. God is supposed to influence the state. See, our state principles, and when I say state, I mean our country, obviously. Our principles were built upon the word of God. If you don't know that or you don't understand that, man, go back and study history. Go back and read the memoirs and the journals of some of these men. Understand what they faced back in England. Understand what they faced in, in, in just being abused for their religion. So where are the pulpits today? I think so many of them are in fear. In fear of, of maybe losing a tax-exempt status. First of all, they can't. I don't know why they're afraid of that. But let's say it happens. Who cares? Who cares? Who provides the money anyways? Do you not think that God can provide the same amount of money that you need whether you pay taxes on it or not, or whether a person can use it as a deduction or not, his principles still apply. 
He still multiplies what's given. So why are preachers so afraid of this? Why are people so afraid of this? We don't have to be, and we shouldn't be. And if, if we are to take back those public squares, we can't be. We have to be vocal about this. We have to be vocal about the fact that God has a place in our government. In fact, God should hold the greatest place in our government. It's not separation of church and state. It's separation of the state from the church. And and what happens when God begins to control the government, the hearts of the people in control of the government, things change. By the way, it doesn't just change for those who love him. Because his principles work. It changes for everybody. That's why all this noise going on right now in the government. And I get it. There's fear. Man, Satan's having a great time. Ramping up fear. Ramping up all this rhetoric and everything else. He's just loving to to just swirl it around. And he's loving that. But you watch. You watch what happens. The Lord told me Donald Trump will be our president for eight years. You watch what happens even in these first four. There is going to be such a change in our economy, a change in our safety, a change in how we even operate life. It's going to not just benefit the church. It's going to benefit everybody. Do you understand that has to happen for Revelation 3.9 to be true and to happen? And this isn't something... Uh, I. I won't even go as far as to say Donald Trump knows what he's doing. Because I, I think in many ways, he has a gut reaction to something that God is doing in his life. But see, if we don't stand up, the church came together, boy, and we prayed for a change. And we prayed for God to give us an opportunity. And he did. November 8th, he did. He gave us opportunity. But if the church doesn't continue standing and even stand stronger now, we will lose that opportunity. And we can't let that happen. If if you prayed hard before November 8th, you've got to pray ten times harder now. Because, see, we need him controlled by God. We need all these cabinet members controlled by God. I don't want their human influence. I don't care about that. I care if it's bathed in God's truth. See, you want to live in a safe place. You want to live in a place that that can affect the world. The same principle applies to this nation as it applies to you personally. We've got to be wrapped in the belt of truth. This country has to be wrapped in the belt of truth. 60 million babies have died. 60 million babies cry out for retribution of their lives. 
See, being wrapped in the belt of truth brings us to an understanding that that's murder. That's murder. Satan would want to break that down and say, well, yeah, but this, but this, but this. And I understand those. And God, and by the way, God has answers for those things. God has answers. Well, what in the case of, of the mother's life? He has answers for all that. By the way, you know what the answer to that is? The church praying. Now, me personally, I would never choose the life of the baby over the life of the mother. But I think the way God works, if we trust him, he has his will. And it's better to let him have his will than to just take it. But you and I know, and we all know, that 99.9% of all abortions are not that. They're an abortion of convenience. So I'll even concede to your 1%, fine. But how about those others that, because we're not wrapped in truth, our nation has committed the greatest genocide in history. In history. And it's all in the name of convenience. And, and I, I don't want to play down the situation. Because I know the situation for perhaps that young mother, that young girl that gets pregnant is grave. I understand that. But that's where I have a hard time that the church is not stepping up. Where's the church? Where's the influence of the bride? Where's the bride to make her feel that she has importance and value no matter what? Even if a mistake was made, Jesus loves her with his life. Where's the church? So much, much of the church just wants to keep that at arm's length. And it's wrong. That's why truth has stumbled in the public squares. Because the church has hid its face. No more. No more. It can't. And we won't. And we pray, Lord, for those who are willing to step up, give us a voice. Give us a voice in this country to make a difference. Give us a voice as individuals to make a difference. Right now, here in Delaware, there's a fight going on over this this next election that, that really can change a lot of things, redistricting and everything else. It's important that you go on offense in your warfare. This is something we're praying about on the nightly call now. Why? Because we want to take back those public squares. It's not just our nation. It's not just Washington. It's Dover. It's here in Delaware. It's in, in our surrounding neighborhoods. We want to take back those public squares for Jesus Christ. Why? Because, boy, I'd rather him lead than anybody else. You want to talk about qualified for office? Try Jesus. <laughs> He's qualified for office. Why? Because he already purchased you. 
He already laid his life down for you. So we need to be vocal in that. And I'm not saying pick a fight. Oh, good night. Please, don't go on Facebook and have some big debate about stuff. Facebook is the most useless place to, to have any kind of good discussion. It doesn't even exist. I, I will not debate on Facebook. I, I, I even avoid posting stuff, but when I do, I warn people, look, you say anything that's a debate, you will be deleted. <laughs> Don't debate on Facebook. Pour yourself into somebody's life. You want to make a difference? Pour yourself into somebody's life. That's what makes a difference. Because we've got to take back those public squares. I, I want to just finish this reading here. And, and by the way here, end of verse 17, or, or halfway through 17, I love, I, I, I have it highlighted where he says, he puts on garments of vengeance. Okay, he goes after this with zeal. So why don't we? We have to go after this with zeal. Because it's truth. You know, people get, I, I watched a video last night. <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to. It, it, it was sent to me. I didn't want to see it because I'd seen one like it before. When, when the first uh, Iraq, when the Iraq war happened first, remember that guy, um, the first guy who was beheaded on TV? Yeah. yeah. Um, I watched that. I watched the whole unedited video, and it just, it just, it broke me. It broke me. And, and I, I just said I would not watch something like that again. I couldn't watch something like that again. And I've avoided it so many times. And I was sent something yesterday that was a video. And when I first saw what it was, and it got up to that point, of, oh, click, stop. Lord said, no. Don't stop. I need you to see this. And it was in a prison setting, and it was these captives. There were maybe 15 of them, and they were all laying down. I, it, who knows? I did not turn up the sound. So I don't know if, if they were talking or... or I. They weren't unconscious because their eyes were open, but they weren't moving. And a hooded gentleman came, grabbed one, yanked him over, put cuffs on the back of him so his hands are behind him. He just slit his throat. And then he, he took basically what is a meat hook, and he hung him upside down so he would just bleed out. He didn't cut it all the way off because he wanted the guy to live as long as he would. You see, this is war. Do you understand? This is war. This is what we face as Christians. We may not face it here in America, but they are our brothers and our sisters. And if we don't engage in war for them, then we are guilty of apathy. And if the pulpits of America don't stand up for them, then they are, diff are, are guilty of apathy. And one thing I know, 
they will be replaced. The pulpits in America that do not stand up for the belt of truth, do not stand up for the righteous, do not stand up for those who are, whose lives are being taken by the enemy, they will lose their voice. Because God's going to raise up the remnant that is willing to speak. And he's going to have them speak. We want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of that remnant. And I can promise you one thing. I can't force you to do it. But I can tell you this this pulpit will never be silent. Will never be silent. Because, see, I want God to turn that around. I want our nation to be one nation under God indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I don't want to force my beliefs on anybody else. But I will not allow, with the very breath that I have, I will not allow false beliefs to be infringed on me. If I have a voice, if you have a voice, You've got to use that voice. And I know I said this before. I wanted to finish this, so let's finish it. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands, he will render repayment. I had to laugh on that one. Sorry. You probably didn't get that. That's okay. Uh, the, the, the coastlands are very different than Midwest. Anyways, whatever. <laughs> Sorry. Verse 19. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. And a redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who turn from transgression declares the Lord. See, this was before Jesus Christ came as a man. This was prophecy. This was what was going to happen to literally make justice come back. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He gave us the opportunity for relationship. He gave us the opportunity to say, yes, Lord, lead our government. We put on your truth Even in our leadership places, he gave us that opportunity, but he never forced his hand. As a matter of fact, that's why he was hung on the cross in the first place. Because the Jews thought that he would come there in victory and power. Thought that he would set up his kingdom right then, and he didn't. What he gave them was an opportunity to make complete change. That opportunity is afforded to us today. We have to take it. And by the way, there is victory if we do. As the remnant rises up, there is victory coming for this country. If you love the people around you that don't know Jesus Christ, I, I, I look at TV and I look at these people that, that you know, are so angry with God, so angry with what, what people are trying to do in pushing God. 
And it just breaks my heart because he loves them. I saw on TV the other night, and this is something to be aware of, because we pray against this every day, and we do it on the call as well. There, there is, I saw this one group, but I'm sure there are groups all over the world, of witches, of Wiccan. Or I, I don't know if there's a difference, but Satan worshippers that are having these seances and, and reading loud these spells to be cast on Donald Trump and his cabinet. Now, that's a very real thing, by the way. That is warfare. And there's a very real effect of that if we don't go on offense, if we don't fight that. See, but Jesus loves those people. I prayed last night that, that, that the vengeance would be turned back on them, just like it did with Elijah and the Baal and those who, the prophets of Baal. But see, I also asked for their lives because Jesus loves them. He loves them as confused and, and distorted and, and deceived as they are. He loves them. So where's the mouth of the bride? See, I don't know if you've ever met a Satan worshiper. I have. I've met a few of them. And I met one when I was younger. I think it was like in the middle of college that I could actually ask questions to. And they, they, they do not lead a fulfilled life. I'm telling you, they live in more fear than anybody I've ever met. Jesus loves them. We have a responsibility to go to war for these people. Because Jesus wants them freed, just like you are freed. But you can't do that on defense. You can't do that just waiting for the attack to come to you. You have to go to the attack. You have to take the battle to the enemy. And that's exactly what God is telling us to do and equipping us to do. So to close, just know today, you've got to begin that with his truth. You've got to begin that with wrapping his truth completely around you. I know we use the concept of a belt, but you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take what we just read and, and say it's a cloak. Take a cloak almost like this big, big bed sheet and just wrap it around you. Wrap his truth around you to where no lies can get in. Because that's not only going to help you discern what is right and what is wrong, but when you go to fight for somebody else, it's going to speak truth to them. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we worship you. We praise you, Lord. And we know you have called us to be this army rising up, this remnant to go on the offense and not just stay on defense. So God, I pray that you burn in our hearts the understanding of what it means to be wrapped in truth. What it means to fasten your truth around us as the, the main point of our armor. As the part that literally holds the rest together. Your truth. Father, we worship you. We praise you. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.
Is this one? Yeah. Um, no, the one behind you. Um, before I make uh, an announcement today, I just wanted to um, just to encourage you. I know some of you, when he mentioned about the Facebook um, not being a place to debate, obviously that doesn't mean to, that some people like to really post um, a verse or you know you can you can de- definitely make statements, but obviously getting into a dialogue is where it's a problem. And and it was so good that he said that because I was thinking of one of the baits of Satan. Uh, that my voice triggers that, by the way. So just that's all right. We'll just chill and don't don't stress about the dog. It's completely fine. Um, but when you get into a debate, sometimes it, Satan can really trap you. So I want to encourage you when it comes to political things. You know, college age. Sometimes people like to ask about, well, what do you think of the immigration thing? What do you think about this? If we can just pour out the love of Jesus and just say that you know we don't know all the ins and outs of decisions being made, but we just pray, pray for our leaders, pray for government. Make sure you don't engage in things, because see, unless you're called, unless God calls you to a position where you are directly responsible for decisions in that particular area in government, you don't have to have all kinds of understanding about it to be able to engage in a conversation. But as a Christian, I think we need to be careful. If you don't know where you stand or you don't know what to say, be careful not to debate, because then you're really derailing what opportunity you would have to talk to Jesus, talk to somebody about Jesus. So I just want to encourage you there. Um, and um, I, um, I'm, I'm really thankful for the, the lens of the offense, and I hope that you will um, look at the armor in a whole new way because this is, is exciting when you can walk. You know, that's the victory that Colossians 2 talks about. We, we're walking already having overcome. And Satan has already been publicly shamed with what Jesus did on the cross. So we're really walking as children of God in that victory, which allows us to take that ground. And that's really exciting. So I, I, just, um, I just hope that you'll, as I've said every week, I really hope you'll listen to the messages again, because there's just a lot of meat in there. And uh, we do want to always take, um, you know, take every opportunity to walk in our authority and not let Satan have his authority. Um, I wanted to just give you a quick announcement today, something that 